We're wrapping up our series on God's economy and what it what it's like and what it means to be in God's economy. And today we're going to be in we're going to be looking at the wages of sin. Yes, that's what you've always heard, but today we're going to be talking about the wages of grace. We're going to be talking about the wages of grace today and what that means in our lives. My microphones, I got too many microphones on. Man, I got 16 different microphones. We are now broadcasting in India. How many of you people got saved when you... There we are. There we go. Okay, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I got saved when I was 25 years old. When I was 25 years old, I was an atheist Yankee, right? Moving to the Bible Belt. And that scared me to death. And I thought, am I crazy? Well, yes, I am. I did not want to be in the Bible Belt with a bunch of y'all. Christians really didn't care to be here. Y'all are crazy Bible-thumping idiots, is what I thought. Didn't want to be near you, didn't want to associate with you, all that kind of stuff. When you get saved at the age of 7, 17, you have your whole life to live in front of you, which is going to be good. It's going to be godly. It's going to look like you going to church, you raising a family in church, hopefully, right? It's going to look like you praying as a family. It's going to look like you at your workplace, other folks coming up to you saying, hey, would you mind praying for my uncle? Would you mind praying for my aunt or my cousin or someone going... There's going to be that, or should be that, in your life as a mark that, hey, I am a believer. People know that I'm a believer. I was saved from the time I was this tall. I was in Christ. I was part of that. And then there's some of you, about like my boat, get saved when you're in your 20s, early 20s, mid-20s, and you had that time to go off and work on your testimony. Right? A friend of mine puts it this way. Man, I went to LSU, and those were the years where I really worked at my testimony. Yep, worked on the weekends hard on my testimony, so it would be an amazing one. The partying days, right? That's typically known as the early 20s and that kind of stuff. The late teens and early 20s. That's when I went out, and I, I did that, and then I realized I was lost, and I came to Christ, and it was an amazing thing, and... I've lived for him since then. What's that look like? What's it look like in a 30-year-old's life who got saved when they were 22? Their friends show up and they're like, hey man, we're going to party, bring the gym beam, right? And you're like, ah, I don't really do that anymore. And they're like, what? You were a wild man in college. Yeah, but I'm saved now. My life belongs to Jesus now and I'm not going to just go marking it up just to say I had a good time. And there's that aspect of it, right? That's kind of how it looks. There's people who remember who you used to be when you were 19 years old, when you were 20 years old, when you were in the drug scene and all that kind of stuff. And then there's the other side of that. There's the folks who get saved when they're 35, 40, 45, 50. 
And their life looks different because they spent money in their life and they have accumulated a lot of stuff that's associated with the old man maybe. They have a lot more stories about the old man and that person who lived the life for the first 50 years of their life. But then there's a new man that's around. And even though the person's older, they're still a babe in Christ and they're learning how to walk the walk and they're learning how to they're learning where to go. And the kid that got saved when he was seven is actually more spiritually rooted at some point than the guy who gets saved at 48. And you're looking at that and you're like, that's just so strange. And then, you know, you have your older folks. Your folks who are 60 years old, 70s. seventies. I baptized a woman who was 75 years old one time. So proud of her. Because you know where she sat for weeks and weeks and years and years? In church. And she was so ashamed that she was living a life in her sister's faith. Her sister got up to get saved one one day when they were little. And she realized, I've never made that public profession of my faith. She's like, I might have been saved for, for several years, but I've been riding on the family's faith. 75 years old, comes up, walks the aisle, gets baptized. But she did. Because she realized, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that faith family. I want to, I want to be included in that. She told me, it's like I lied to myself for years. Knowing that I hadn't been biblically baptized. Knowing that I really wasn't saved, but I was there as a part of the church, doing all sorts of stuff for the church, working within the church, going, oh, what are people going to think? But when she knew that she wasn't, she made it right. This morning, we're going to read in the book of Matthew, chapter 20. And we're going to look at the wages of grace. So if I had to write a Bible verse, which I'm not going to because that would just be blasphemy. But I would say, the wages of grace is blessings. I look back at my life and I go, man, I wish I got saved when I was, you know, 10 years old. I wish I got saved then because I could have known what I know now when I was 20. And I could have been so much more effective for the kingdom of God living an entire life devoted to Him rather than just the last 20 years. I look at the guy who gets saved when he's seven. Seven years old. Ten years old. Whatever. I look at them and I'm like, I hope you live it out and walk it out in front of you. Because you have such a great opportunity. And I look at the guy who's 85 that gets saved. That woman that was 75 that got saved. And I go, you have a piece of time to make an influence. And I hope you use it. And I hope you use it wisely. The story we're looking at here comes on the tale of the story of the rich young ruler. 
Y'all know that story? Rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, hey, go and sell everything you have. And he's like, I can't do that. And he walks away sad. He thought he could just kind of keep the law and be legalistic. He's like, hey, I've honored my mother and my father. I've done this. I've, I've been good. I'm a good religious guy. But I can't give away my stuff because that's where my heart is. That, that was big. So now Peter and the other disciples, they're there, they're talking to Jesus. And Peter's asking, so how does somebody get saved? And Jesus says, it's easier for a man to go through the eye of a needle. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Because he had a lot of stuff. He couldn't put that stuff behind him. And now Jesus and Peter continue on with that conversation. That's chapter 19, and I'll just wrap up what they say at the end of there. In verse 19, he says, uh, 29, I'm sorry, of chapter 19. And everyone who has houses or brothers or sisters or left father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall have received a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Peter wanted to know, hey, what's in it? For us, who are following you now, we left everything. We're not like this rich guy who can't leave his stuff. We've left it all behind and we're following you. And then right after Jesus says that to Peter, we have the parable that we're going to get into today. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. Here's what he says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour. This is about nine o'clock. The day started at six o'clock. And saw the others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Now let me stop right there. Put your finger in the Bible because we're going to go from there. Back in those days, you'd hang out around the town square. Imagine us hanging out by the Easy Mart if you were looking for a job. You'd be hanging out by the Chinese restaurant. And you'd be hanging out there saying, hey, I want to work today. And someone would come by and hire you as a day laborer to do some work for them. So if you wanted to work that day, you go down the town square, you hang out, someone will hire you. So that's... That's how this is done here. Verse 5. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. So he goes out at noon and then he goes out at three. And at about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? This is 5 p.m. They punch out at six, okay? So that's, that's what's going on. And, verse 7, they said to him, because no one hired us, he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, and the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last 
to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received a denarius. Now here's a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage to make sure that your family had enough food, to make sure that you you were going to be able to live off of it for that day. Our world, let's call it 50 bucks. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only an hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Lord, Work in our hearts, in our minds, in our eyes to see what you would have us see this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It's going to be a handful of points that I want you to get from this morning. The first thing is, the reward was going to be the same for everybody that came to work that day. Y'all see that? They all received a what? A denarius. They all got the same paycheck at the end of the day. They were salary, in other words. Not celery, salary. So, get some ranch dip. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about salary. They all received their wages at the end for the job that was done. That being said, showing up at 6 a.m., and working all day, was that as profitable as getting hired on in the, at 5 o'clock p.m.? Was it? I'm like, no. Was it as profitable? Yeah. They got the same exact paycheck. However, it wasn't as practical for you. You probably could have gone off and worked another job, finished at four, shown up at five, and gotten a ride over there and gotten two denarius in one day. Anybody think like that? I'm trying to maximize my paycheck, right? What happened when the guy, when, when the steward calls over all the workers? Who do they start with? The one that just got hired an hour ago. The guy that just hopped out of the back of the pickup an hour ago shows up. Y'all know who this is, right? Shows up and says, hey guys, what are we doing? And they're like, we're wrapping up. We're done. Why don't you go help over there? They're cleaning up. You can help put some of that stuff away. I try to be that guy. (laughs) Y'all laughing. It's true. Sunday night, you watch me. You watch me on a Sunday night. Stick around until everything's done and people are closing up. You know what I'm doing? I'm sitting at a table, eating, talking, drinking, eating my 18th dessert. I'm preaching on gluttony next week, right? 
I'm sitting there doing that, and I look out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, okay, Todd's still working. I need to keep talking to this person for another minute. I'm just kidding. But you know those folks, right? Y'all joke around, I'm like, yeah, I know old Jim. He shows up the last minute, and he's trying to get this done. He's like, oh, can I help? And you're like, we're done. Those guys got the same wages as the guy that was there at the crack of dawn. Think about that. You're that person who was there all day long. You're the person who was out there at the crack of dawn waiting. You work all day long in the heat. You have that little bagged thing of tuna for lunch. You know what I'm talking about? You're like a day worker. You had the can of, I gotta say it right, Vienna sausages. Right? That was you. That's what you had for lunch. You didn't even have a drink. You were thirsty. You had to bum a drink off of the guy next to you and be like, can I just have a sip of that? These sausages are salty. And your paycheck is the same as the guy who worked an hour. You thought, man, he worked one hour and got 50 bucks. I worked 12 hours. Surely I'm going to get $100. Surely he's going to pull out a Benjamin and give it to me. This is, this is going to be okay. But you get the same as the guy who went first. What's your attitude like? Are you mad? Are you frustrated? Nobody's going to be like, I'm mad, because you don't want to be like, I'm a jerk. Are you frustrated? Raise your hands if you're frustrated, if you're that guy. Yeah! Some of y'all just better than me. I'm frustrated. I've been here all day long, doing all the work. I've been making sure all the grapes have been collected. I'm the one that was picking them off the vine. I'm the one that was carting them back and forth, breaking a sweat. I stink, I smell, I'm filthy, I'm dirty, I'm nasty, and I get a $50 bill, and I've been out here for 12 hours. And then you have the other guy, the guy who just showed up, got out of the truck, and they said, okay, let's go line up for our paychecks. I didn't even do anything. Well, it's payday now. It's... And they come by and you're the first one and you get that $50 bill in your hand. You're like, wow. That's a lot of money considering I really didn't do much. I almost did nothing. But that's, that's yours. You take that, you keep that, that's yours. What's your attitude like? I don't deserve this. I didn't work for this. And then you see the other guys, and they're getting the same payment as you. And there's old 6 o'clock in the morning Johnny over here, and you're looking at him, and you almost feel bad because you're getting the gift, and he's not really getting anything. He's getting wages. Go back in the beginning of that story. The first couple verses or the second verse, now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day. You see that up there? When they had agreed. What's that word agreed mean? There was some sort of what going on? 
negotiations, some haggling. Hey, how about $50? I was thinking about $40. Now, how about $60? I don't know. Let's meet in the middle at $50. There's an agreement there that took place. Someone just put that there? There was an agreement that took place. And now what we see at the end is that what happens to the next batch of guys that get hired? Is there an agreement there? Go ahead and read. Flip through some of these other verses. You don't see an agreement being made. You know what you see? You see the master saying, I'll give you what? What is right. What's the difference? What's the difference in the first batch and the last batch of folks? The first batch said, hey, let's make a deal. Let's come up with a bargain. Let's negotiate and agree upon what's okay. What's the difference with the last guys throughout the rest of the day? I'm going to trust you for what's right. Come work for me, and I'll, I'll pay you what's right. Does he say, I'll pay you what's fair? No. What's right? What's the difference between what is right and what is fair? Is there a difference? Some of y'all be like, no, there's no difference in right and fair. Fair is right and right is fair. It's the same thing. But apparently there's a difference here. And that difference is where grace is involved. And the wages of grace is the blessing that the guy who came in at 5 o'clock received. Now, the first thing I wanted you to see was that everybody is paid the same no matter what. In our world, in our life, the person who gets saved at the age of 8 gets the same reward as the person who gets saved at 88. Think about that. Is that fair? Might not be fair, but it's right. I talked with a guy recently, and he admits he's lost. And he says, is it fair that the child molester killing a kid, murderer, is on death row, is wicked their whole life, is there on death row, and gets saved the day before they get the lethal injection. Is God just and fair in that situation? I don't know, but he's right. I look at it, and I go, you know... We are expecting God to operate on what we consider just. What we consider fair. But God's generosity isn't on the same field as our understanding of just and fair, is it? We look at just and fair and we say deserve. That word gets thrown around a lot in there. And that word deserve doesn't belong anywhere in the conversation of grace. Because grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. 
And we understand that we are saved by what? Grace. And not of works. Lest any man should boast, is what it says in Ephesians. So if we are saved by our own works and by what we deserve, we will never be saved because that's not how you are saved. The next thing I want you guys to see is that you cannot hold the Master to promises that He didn't make. You can't hold the Master to the promises that He didn't make. What promise did He make to the first batch of guys? A denarius, a day's wages. I'm going to pay you the 50 bucks. What promises did He make to that next batch of guys? I'll pay you what's right. You can't hold God to promises that He didn't make. How many folks do you know are making or are holding God to promises that He didn't make? They're saying, you know what? I'm living a holy life. I go to church. I go to church on Sunday morning. I go to Sunday school. I go to church on Wednesday. I go to church on Sunday night. I help do this. I help do that. I do this. I do that. I do this. I give here and I do this and I give to that. Lord, I know you're going to bless me now. Is that the right mindset and attitude? No. Because you know what God promised you? He promised you heaven. He didn't promise you that everything was going to be rosy on this side. He didn't promise you that there's going to be the health, the wealth, the riches, and all that kind of stuff that go along with what you might expect as a blessing. I remember 24 years old, 23 years old maybe, I'm a lost Yankee up in Massachusetts. And I had this mindset. You ready for this? Y'all think this is kind of entertaining. If I could go a day, because I was raised Catholic, so I have an understanding of sin and blessing and that stuff. If I can go one day without committing a sin, then God is going to bless me. If there is a God, because I'm an atheist at this point, I'm like testing the waters to, Lord, if you're real. If I go one day without committing a sin, then I'm going to win the lottery. Y'all see what's going on there? An atheist is doing that to God. So you know what happens? I work in a prison at this time. I am living my life clean and pure as a lost Yankee could. Now, my idea of what is sin probably isn't the same as yours because some of y'all are like, well, why'd you go buy the scratch ticket then, Tony? So, you want to know what happens with this thing? I win. I go a day. Now, I'm three days into this thing, but on the third day or second day, whatever it was, I win the lottery. You know what I won? A free ticket. I got like three out of the seven numbers right in the Powerball. So I got a free ticket. And I, you know what instantly I do? There's something to this. So the next day, I try. I mess up. The next day, I try, I mess up. And the whole time, I'm steadily going in, give me a quick pick, (laughs) right? And I'm getting the lottery ticket. And then, about a week later, 
I'm probably $12, $15 into this thing. A week later, I go through a day, and I must have been pretty good because you know what happened that night? I won again, $10. Amen. I thought that righteousness in my own eyes would bring blessings from God in a thing that God doesn't necessarily use for blessings. And that's how I viewed things. God, if I do this, then you do that. Who am I making God in that situation? Me. That's a form of idolatry, yo. Y'all, yo. <laughs> Preaching to a bunch of 14-year-old kids at a hip-hop concert. All right. So, that was an issue. Because I assumed, and I was holding him to promises that he, he did not make. The next thing is... You can't complain about how the master treats others. Did you know that there's a friend of mine who just gave, who just got a four wheeler? Y'all know this guy. His name's Jamie. Right? He was here a couple weeks ago on a Sunday night. Friend of mine, he's a preacher, he's filled in for me here. This friend of mine, Jamie has a guy that is rich as a friend. He owns like this big old company and he has this four-wheeler that he says, Jamie, come over here. Do you need a four-wheeler? I, I want to, you know, sell it and all that stuff. Or if you know anybody that needs a four-wheeler, let me know. I've been telling Jamie for eight months, if you find a good four-wheeler deal, let me know. Right? Jamie goes, man, I don't know anybody who's looking for a four-wheeler. When he told me that, I said, man, I hate you. And then I had to repent of that sin. So, this guy gives Jamie a four-wheeler, ultimately, to give to his neighbor because the neighbor was going to buy it. And this guy says, Jamie, I was going to give you the four-wheeler. I really didn't want to sell it to your neighbor or any of your friends. You give them the four-wheeler and I'm going to give you the thousand bucks that I was asking for it. And just turned around and gave him the thousand bucks. I look at that and I go, man, that guy's crazy. But you know what it is? That guy isn't crazy. That guy is generous. This is the second four-wheeler that Jamie has received from this man in the last eight years. I look at that and go, man, I wish I could have gotten that. And I'm hurt about it, right? However, this other guy that ended up with the four-wheeler and my buddy Jamie, they received blessings about it. I can't be mad about this guy who was being generous just because I'm not in on the action, can I? No. You know what it inspires me to do, actually? I'm going to give away a four-wheeler, maybe. No, I'm not. It inspires me to be more generous. It inspires others to be more generous. So I can't be upset that he's giving away out of the abundance of his goodness to folks. But I wanted to be. I wanted to be envious. I wanted to be jealous and all that kind of stuff. But that's not right. I can't complain about the way 
that others are being blessed by the master. We, we don't understand the generosity of God. Here's what we know about God from the Bible. He will give everybody an amount of days. And some of our days are getting closer to the end than others. Some of y'all in here are in your 60s, and you're going to have another 40 years. And then there's other folks in here who are in their 30s and may only have another 8. We don't know, but God does. And everyone is appointed a certain number of days. And that's all we know. And we, if we are in Christ, better make the best of that time. Not because He says, you have to, and I'm making you do that, but because of His generosity and His goodness, and how He saved us so that we can spend an eternity with Him in His loving kindness and His goodness. When someone does something for you, you don't look at them and go, man, now I'm going to have to turn around and repay them a gift. You shouldn't, because you're not receiving the gift of generosity. What do we do? We receive the gift of generosity and we say, man, thank you. What does true gratitude look like? True gratitude looks like love. True gratitude looks like a relationship that's, that's right. Not a relationship where there's envy on the edges of it and a relationship that is messed up and fractured. True gratitude looks at someone and says, you know what, thank you, I love you. When's the last time you've told someone, I love you, and, and I, I'm telling you that because I have a great appreciation for you in our relationship? Some folks would think you have lost your mind, that you were off your rocker. There's folks in here you could probably tell that to. But the truth is, you probably won't tell that to a lot of them. You want to know why? Because it's uncomfortable. And we're prideful. And we think that's, that's just wacky. That's just preacher talk. But we can't, we can't hold others responsible for promises they didn't make. We can only show grace and gratitude toward them. And then, the last thing I want to tell you guys in closing here. God gives the best to those that approach Him without demands, but leave the choice to Him. God gives the best gifts to those that do not make demands, but leave the choice up to Him. And that's what we see in this parable. We see these folks who are standing there. Where were they standing? In the third hour, in the ninth hour, in the eleventh hour? Where were these guys standing? They were standing where they were hoping the Master would come back. They were found in the place that the Master would return to. Alright, don't miss this part. They were waiting in the position to see the Master upon His return and say, Hey, I'm here. I may not have a lot of time left of daylight to burn, but I'm here and I'm willing to be a part of this thing. 
Most people would say, eh, it's not worth the time. I'll get up and I'll do it tomorrow morning. These guys came back and they were where the Master would be. Are you waiting where the Master would be in your life? Are you waiting there as one of these vineyard workers to say, I want to be here when the Master gets back and I want all my ducks in a row so that He'll load me up in the back of that Toyota and drive me out to the farm. I'm here for that. I'm here for the wages. I don't care what He pays me, if He pays me, because tomorrow is a brand new day and at least I'll, I'll have an opportunity with Him then. God has looked at you and said... That the first will be last, and the last will be first, but all the pay is the same. You know what the payment is? Eternal life. The payment is life in Christ. It's God, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. It's an acronym. If you didn't know it, learn it. God's riches, G-R-A-C-E, at Christ's expense. That's what payday is. God's grace is what is given to you. And He looked at you from the foundation of time and He said, I want you to be working in my vineyard for my kingdom. You've either responded to that call or you haven't. You've either gone to the town square and looked for the Master coming or you've been at home in bed. And if you've been at home in bed, today's that day you get to the town square and He will call you up and He will load you up and He will take you to where He wants you. And He will pay you the same wages that He paid the kid that was nine years old when she got saved. You will receive the same rewards and the same grace. But you've got to be willing to meet the Master. If you've not done that, I ask you to seriously consider it. I ask you to sit there right now and to decide, will I work for this Master? 